Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Do you have money sitting in the stock market and you're worried about it? Or worse, you have money sitting at the bank, not keeping up with inflation? My name is Charles Carrillo, founder and managing partner of Harborside Partners. And since 2006, I've been investing my money and my family's money into income-producing properties. These are real assets, real properties with real addresses that produce real cash flow. At Harborside Partners, we provide passive investors who love real estate with a turnkey investing solution. If you want to put your money to work in real estate but can't find deals, don't have the time to get funding, and the last thing that productive people want to do is manage real estate. We find the deals, we fund the deals, and we manage the tenants, the termites, and the properties. Partner with us at investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Go to investwithharborside.com. If you love real estate, you like the idea of passive income, and believe that income-producing properties will appreciate over time, go to investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Dave Zook. Dave and his team at The Real Asset Investor have placed more than $800 million across various asset classes, which offer cash flow, tax impact, and equity growth for investors. These asset classes include ATMs, car washes, energy, self-storage, and more. He and his team are one of the top five ATM fund operators in the country. And Dave was an early investor in Bitcoin and digital assets, and he holds an advisory role at the Off the Chain Capital, one of the top performing funds in the world for the last five years. So thank you so much for being on the show, Dave. Hey, thanks, Charles. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So you have an interesting background prior to getting involved with what you're doing now with The Real Asset Investor. Can you give us a little background, both uh, personally and professionally, prior to getting involved with real estate investing and uh, tax-efficient assets? Yeah, so I I was fortunate. I'm super blessed to be able to say I was born and raised in a very entrepreneurial, business-friendly family, and I grew up in the modular building business. And so that's that's what I knew. You know, I grew up in the business, started kind of working on projects and stuff inside the business when I was six years old. I was painting hinges and you know doing that kind of fun stuff. But um, no, I grew up in that business. Um, I I got restless when I was in my late teens, and and um, I started. You know, I bought some equipment, bought a truck and trailer, started hauling our our modular buildings around, and and uh, you know. Eventually, when I got into my 20s, I started building some some other businesses that had to do with modular buildings, you know, connected to the space and had had, uh, you know, a lot of product knowledge and all that. Um, built a couple of those businesses and started doing really well and got myself into a real tax situation where I was paying a half million dollars a year in tax. And uh, so that wasn't so much fun. So I just... I started really educating myself, getting around the right people, learning about tax, how you can use real estate and, and you know back it up just a second i i saw my dad do real estate he was buying farms and land and single family homes and self-managing single family homes i just like you know what that's not going to be me so i really made a conscious decision that i wasn't going to invest in real estate when i figured out that real estate is specifically uh multifamily or you know real estate that you could you know take advantage of cost stake studies and bonus depreciation all that i got really interested and so I entered that door. I was looking for a tax relief. And so I started buying multifamily apartment buildings and 
quickly got myself into the tax efficient range, tax free range. And it, it's, uh, I've been in that space. I mean, I've been, I've been buying assets in real estate ever since I couldn't, I got hooked. <laughs> so did you start off as an active investor or a passive investor uh, with a lot of these deals? So I quickly recognized I was making, I was making really good money on my active businesses. And so I made some adjustments and got, you know, got managers in place and really sort of kind of put my focus into real estate and I became a real estate professional. So I, I was active in the real estate space. So I was able to take my losses, my passive uh, losses, depreciation mm -hmm. to offset tax liability on my, on my income coming from my other businesses. Nice. Nice. So can you give us a little overview? I, I went through a little bit in the intro, but um can I simply overview the assets that your firm currently focuses on? Because they're out of the normal of what we hear, uh, you know, multifamily and self-storage stuff like this. But kind of what do, what do you focus on? What does your firm predominantly focus on now that as uh, giving great returns and tax efficiency to your investors? Yeah, so I'll I'll list them for you. And when I tell you what the asset classes are and sort of uh, sort of our core holdings, um, I'll give you the pretext on this. It's it's really just a reflection of my own portfolio. You know, when I when I start investing in an asset class, I want to do it with an operator that has the ability to scale. I want to do it. You know, my my job for my own portfolio is to find the best in class operator I can find in any one of those asset classes. So our our four main asset classes right now is car washes, ATMs. Uh, self storage and then natural gas. We love natural gas. And for and and you know when you look at each one of those asset classes, each one of them do different things. You know, one of them will give you tax protection against ordinary income. A couple of them will give you tax protection against passive income. Um, you know, some of them you 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 may be talking aggressive cash flow. Um, others more in uh, equity appreciation, longer term equity appreciation. So. Each one of those asset classes does different things for me. And I really, you know, that's what I'm investing in personally. And and if I really like the operator, I really like the asset class and it's scalable, I'll take it out to my investor base. And that's how it's been from day one. So when you're evaluating opportunities to possibly share with your investor base, um, other than being tax efficient, high level, I mean, what else are you looking for in the investment and the operator? Because you talked about that uh, briefly. Uh, so a couple of things. I want to know how did this asset class perform in 2008 to 2010 or 2020 to 2022? I want to know that it's, um, you know, how does it perform in a recession? How does it perform when times are not so good? I don't want something in my portfolio that's going to crash and burn as soon as we have an interest rate hike or or a recession or, you know, something, a pandemic and, you know, something. I, I want it to be a resilient when I know that the asset class that I'm looking at does a few things for me, that being one of them, but also, you know, provides income, provides stable income. Uh, when I know that it will give me tax protection, um, you know, I, I, I don't start with tax. I start with the asset class and, and want to make sure that it's sustainable asset class. It's going to work very well in my portfolio. And then I look at the tax piece and say, okay, how's this going to work for me? You know, I already got the, Maybe the, the income side figured out. But now, how do I keep that income? So I, I kind of look. And then once I once I locate that asset class and really identify that asset class and figure out, okay, I want to get in this space. Now, 
all of my, almost all of my focus goes to the operator. How can I get the best operator? How can I find the best operator that's operating that that asset class? Who, who's the world-class operator out there that I can partner with? Interesting. Because um, I'm on your email list and uh, for many years, and I find that outside of other syndicators, operators, first of all, you offer a lot of different investment opportunities that aren't available through other operators. But the number two is that I always find they're very uniquely structured. And it's where you're getting, a, like you said, you're getting income, but you're also getting a lot of your capital back pretty quickly, right? Um, and uh, is there any particular way you want to see the deal structured? Obviously, you mentioned income. Is there any other way that you like to see it um, in, in, in addition to tax efficiency and the income portion? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like to have fun with it. I actually get pretty creative with some of these deals that we set up and no, no two deals are alike. You know, when you're yeah. talking you know, different asset classes. The one thing that I am very conscious of is I almost always, I think I can say always, I I make it very obvious in the deal that I don't make money until the investors make money. Our interests are aligned. Oftentimes, many times I'm even I'm even, you know, underwater until the investor starts making money or sometimes even until they get all of their money back. You know their principal back, and so I like to, you know, you know, and even in a specific asset class, I'll give you an example like car washes. When we started the car wash fund, it was a debt fund. We raised I don't know eight or ten million dollars, and we went out and and bought some land and started going through the entitlement process and really started building a couple of these car washes. Um, when we wanted to take it next level, then we. Um, it made it, it gave investors equity, but we gave them a hundred percent of the cash flow from operations until they got their principal back. Or no, actually, no, better than that. We gave them a hundred percent of the income from operations until they get to 1.75 times their money. So you invest a hundred thousand dollars, you got 175,000 back, and then you exit. At that point, now I could start making money, right? So right now, in the next couple of days, we're we're actually um, closing that fund down, and we're on the home stretch. We're you know the next three years we're planning to build another seventy to ninety more car washes, and so as we're ramping up and as we're seeing the model, like one of the, one of the reasons we put that model together is one of the questions I ask myself: How can I reduce the risk to my investor? Well, how about if you give them a hundred percent of the cash? You know, that's that's one way to do it because there's development risks. There's, you know, it was a new asset class for us, a new operations team. You know, we, we were getting, in, you know, we were getting really familiar with it, you know, put the fund together like two or three years ago. But now that we have real operational history and we know who we're dealing with, we're, we took out a lot of that risk. Now there is a split on the front end. Now we're making an equity play to where an investor can be in the deal the whole way of the exit. And that's really where the magic happens in, in the car wash space is, you know, private equity is paying 18 to 18 plus X, 18 plus times EBITDA. And so the juice is on the back end. So now being able to have investors come in and being part of that equity uh, deal all the way to the end, it's, uh, I like it. But that's asset, an example, even yeah. within the one asset class, how we had three different structures at three different times. Yeah, I remember the one seeing the one that you said 1.75x, and that's very interesting. But obviously, I imagine you had a lot of pushback questions from investors because they want to get onto that 18x. They want to taste that 18x at the end. So that's a very interesting way that you're you're structuring it now. Um, 
One of the asset classes I know you've been around, uh, involved with, let's say, for 10 plus years was uh, ATMs. Can you give us a little overview on, because um, ATMs, obviously, they're, I've invested into them uh, several times. And can you give a little overview of where you see the future for ATMs? And obviously, this is for a demographic that's most likely not investing into them that's going to be using them. But um, where you see that going, because these deals go out, uh, I think they're like seven or eight years. And you obviously want to know that this asset class or these machines are going to be used in that time. Yeah. So a little bit about the asset class, I, I, I would venture to bet many of your listeners probably don't use ATMs. I don't use ATMs. I've got hundreds of them personally, and I don't, I couldn't get money out of them if I tried. I don't have an ATM card. <laughs> so, you know, our peer group doesn't necessarily use ATMs much. Um, we've converted to plastic or digital or, you know, those kind of things. A um, couple of things important to know about this asset class. One, uh, people think cash is dying. People think cash is going away. I we just uh, I just did a webinar the other day and it, it showed a chart of uh, the currency and circulation. It's like two and a half times more currency and circulation today than there was 10 years ago. And then you look at that and then you recognize, okay, who's the demographic that we're serving? We're serving immigrants, unbanked, underbanked, lower income, EBT card carriers. That's the group that we're serving. And when you when you recognize it's one of the fastest growing groups in this country, then it starts to make a lot more sense. So recognizing who your your customer is helps you to really see, okay, how is this viable business when it feels like in our groups, nobody's using cash. Yeah. Yeah. The unbank is a huge thing because I don't think people in our, uh, in our groups really see that, but it's, it's something that when I used to collect the, uh, when I used to self-manage properties, you, people always want to pay cash and they'd be going getting a money order, right? Cause they're an unbanked kind of person and that's how they would do it. And every new regulation the government puts out around banking uh, makes banks kind of raise their limits of what they're doing, increase fees, because that's how they have to make money. And that just adds to more people being unbanked. So um, I totally see what you're, it's just something that most people don't see. Um, so it's something I think people kind of get a little wary of when you talk about it. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it, it is one of the big questions that comes up. Like, you know, people try to get their mind around, wait a minute, I'm, I, I don't personally use cash. So that must mean that nobody does. And it's, right. it, you know, it's not true. And, and, you know, we're, we're a few steps removed from, you know, the people who are, so it's a little hard to see into it, but when you look at the facts and, and look, we're, we do a lot of market studies outside of our fund. I mean, general market studies, see what's really going on out in the market. Uh, but what's even more telling is we can see what's going on inside of our funds. We can see how people are behaving and using our equipment, and we can see an increase in the use of cash and an increase in use of ATMs. Yeah. It's something interesting too. When I get my K1s from those deals, it's uh, there's 12, 15 states that the machines are put in that you're getting income from. So it's very well dispersed over many markets, many, many areas, um, MSA. So very interesting. Yeah, and, and, that's, and, and there's some, yeah, to your point, there's some good diversification in there because when an investor comes in and buys a unit of ATMs, it's usually five or six ATMs and places them in the fund, they're getting exposure across the entire fund, not just their ATMs. So we're paying out a blended performance on the entire fund, which gives a good diversification across, you know, across yeah. several different states and jurisdictions. 
So you spoke earlier about uh, vetting operators and finding the best operators. Um, and obviously, you probably have a very long checklist for doing that. But how would you suggest passive investors uh, vet both deals and operators when they're making that decision to, to invest passively? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, you know, and it, and it depends on how much time you want to spend, how much money you want to spend, how much effort, you know, how much time you got to put into it. And then again, how much money you're putting into the deal. If you're investing 50 grand, you 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 may do less due diligence than if you're investing a million dollars. But a big one for me is I'm much less interested in what a promoter or a sales guy has to say about his product than I am about you know, talking to five or six or eight or 10 of his investors and hearing what they're saying about it. And then, and then of course, you got length of time. You know, if somebody pops up out of nowhere and they get this fun going on and they got this good thing going on and then everybody's all excited about it. It's like, oh, yeah, but you only started like a year or two ago. That, that, that may be a, a flag. Um, I'm looking for track record. I'm looking for, you know, consistent, you know, sort of length of time. How long you've been in the in this business? What happened in the last 10, 15 years? You know, what have you done? Uh, I want to talk to investors. Um, you know, I, I want to look at financials, and you know, some of that is you know over the last few weeks has become even more important. You know, you've 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 you know we've seen some some examples of of why that's so important. And um, so you know, dealing with an operator where you have access to financials very important. What would you say, um, being around this and raising money from past investors and probably speaking to thousands of them, what are you, some mistakes you would say you uh, you commonly see or you've seen past investors make? Not doing enough of what what we just talked Same, about. Yeah. Not doing not doing enough of due diligence. Uh, listening to a sales guy and not digging into the into the details. And you know, it, it it's work. It takes time and. You know, the deeper you go, the more money you, that you're looking to invest, the deeper you should go. And, you know, but it, it's it's work. And to not do that stuff is is just irresponsible or lazy. And and many of us have done it. You know, I've done it. But, you know, if you really care about your, your own capital as a passive investor, um, you should be digging into this stuff. And you shouldn't be embarrassed to ask for it either. You know, I, I know... I know people sometimes say to me, look, I, I, you know, it's not that I don't trust you. I need to see it. It's like, you should be asking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Trust, but verify. Yeah, sure. definitely. Um, so Dave, over all the years of being active entrepreneur and uh, growing up in, uh, in an entrepreneurial family, how has your relationship towards money changed over the years? You think? Um, I am much more patient today. I don't need that fast return and i don't even need the highest roi on paper i used to get excited when i see when i've seen the the roi on on a spreadsheet i'm like oh my goodness look at that deal you know whatever but to me it's much more about a relationship having a relationship with the operator having a relationship with say a partner uh trust being able to trust somebody and then just really having a quality asset that you would be happy to own for a decade or two, but you know, in some of those cases, you know, you'd be crazy not to sell, you know, in a in a couple of years. So, and, and then as far as you know, you know, money, uh, there's there's been studies done, and I and I could 
and I could vouch for the studies as well because there's been studies done that's like, you know, when you have fifty thousand dollars and you go to a hundred thousand, your quality of life, you know, gets gets boosted a good bit and you're happier. You go from a hundred thousand dollars to two fifty. You know, I, of course, this is, this probably needs to be inflation adjusted because adjusted because I haven't I haven't heard it for a couple of years, but this was a couple of years old. When you go from a hundred to you know one seventy five or one seventy five to two fifty, again, you get that sort of increase in you know quality of life, happiness, where you can vacation, restaurants you can eat, and all that, whatever. But once you make um, you know more than half a million dollars i forget what the number was but once you make more let's let's call it a million dollars in you know adjusted for inflation it doesn't increase your happiness and so i've recognized that and and so you know yeah you need money to make deals happen you need money to maybe you know depending on what's going on in a, in a deal or, you know eviction moratoriums man we've, we've seen all kinds of stuff in the last couple of years you need money to float stuff sometimes uh, but other than that, I, I don't spend a whole lot of time focused on money. I just know that if I could do good, solid deals with great partners, the money's and, and I and I, you know, add a lot of value to my investors, the money's going to be there, and I don't have to worry about it. Oh, that's great. Uh, what do you think are some of the main factors that have uh, contributed to your success over the years? Um, when I took my eyes off myself and what I wanted, and started focusing on adding value to others i that 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 was a game changer i mean it, it just you know i wish i'd have done that sooner you know i i back in the day when i was first you know putting a deal together it was it was all about you know i i had a deal i had a you know you know a, a, a deadline i had a you know i needed this i needed that whatever well nobody else cares about what you need right and so when I when I switch that around, it's like, okay, how can I add the most value to my investors? That's when I started getting real momentum. Oh, that's great. So Dave, how can our listeners learn more about you and The Real Asset Investor? So our website is therealassetinvestor.com. And if you would like the best possible service when you reach out to us, this will get you access to quite a few guys on my team. Go to info at therealassetinvestor.com. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and uh, looking forward to connecting with you here in the near future. All right. Thanks, Charles. It was fun. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.